Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Christmas season. We have decked the halls, we have busted out the Christmas music, and look, I know some of you have been listening to Christmas music since like August. Uh, We'll have prayer available for you after uh, the service today, Um, but really, we're kicking off a brand new series today because it's Christmas time. Is anybody excited? Yeah! If you can't tell, I really love Christmas, Um, and I know that really makes me unique. Uh, But I I love everything about this season. I love the sights, the lights. I love the smells. Like, I'm not a big candle guy, but we got candles going in our house. I love the trees. And um, I'm also not a big Starbucks guy, but every year around this time of the year, I will go to Starbucks and get uh, a big old peppermint hot chocolate and one of those wonderful Christmas cups. And I'll, I'll just sit down in a leather chair and literally drink it all in because I I love everything about this season. There's something about when the weather goes from 65 and sunny to 55 and sunny and Christmas trees start showing up in all the parking lots and Nat King Cole starts playing in all the grocery stores. There's something about that that makes me come alive. I love everything about this season. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, Starbucks almost ruined everything. Uh, Maybe some of you will remember this. They came out with a cup. Uh, It was a red cup. And satanically, it was devoid of any Christmas paraphernalia whatsoever. There were no snowflakes. There were no trees. There were no reindeers. There was no nothing. Just a blank red cup. And the internet went crazy. Some of you are remembering this right now. You're having PTSD. The internet went crazy. And so the VP uh, of design from Starbucks put out a statement to try to quell the controversy. Here's what he said. He said, in the past, we have told stories with our holiday cup designs. This year, we wanted to usher in the holidays with a purity of design that welcomes all of our stories. Now, as you can imagine... That did not help the controversy. Um, People started boycotting Starbucks. People said it's a war on Christmas. And to that, I would just say a couple of things. Uh, Number one, all the things that were ripped off the cup are peripheral at best to the Christmas story. Like, don't get me wrong. I like snowflakes and reindeers and all the Christmassy stuff. You should see my front. I mean, look at what I'm wearing right now. Like, I'm all in on this season. I love this stuff. But here's what I also know is that if those things are not grounded in something deeper, in something real, then our Christmas celebrations will be fragile and easily disrupted and disappointed. And and I think that's what this whole Starbucks controversy revealed in us. Now, some of you might be like, not us, Pastor. I didn't freak out over the cups. Well, well, here's what I would say. Um, I think we all know what it is to have our Christmas celebrations disrupted and disappointed. And and for you, maybe it's not a cup, it's Starbucks. Uh, For you, maybe it was a holiday tradition that just didn't go quite right. Like anybody ever go out for a Christmas tree with the family and you have an idea in your head of how this is going to go and it's magical and then you get there and everything works against you and it's not magical and you end up taking that tree at the end of the day because you can't get it in the house and you throw it outside. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, me neither. 
Uh, or um, maybe it's someone doesn't show up to the holiday gathering this year and that disrupts things. Or, or maybe it's that they do show up and they, they think it's fun to just kind of toss a grenade on the table uh, and bring up politics at the family gathering. And you go, there goes the Christmas cheer. See, I don't know what it is for you, but I think if we're honest, most of us know that the most wonderful time of the year can very easily and very quickly become the most stressful time of the year. And my point is, I don't think Christmas is meant to be that fragile. Um, So that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing I would say is, it's not Starbucks' job to tell the Christmas story, right? Whose job is that? Ours. The church. Christians, because if we rely on a corporation to do it, they'll do it with wreaths and snowflakes. And as fun as all those things are, the Christmas story is so much bigger than that. And so what I want to do with this series is I want to take us back to the story that animated all of the lights and the trees and the traditions and all the things that we love in the first place. Uh, I want to take us back to the story of the first Christmas, and we're just going to ask this big question on the screen here. What child is this? And and over the next five weeks, we're going to see that this child is God, this child is man, this child is Savior, this child is King, this child is for you. And me. And and each week what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, so what? Like if if that's what we learn in the Christmas story, then how does that matter for our lives today? Like why does that make it worth cutting down perfectly good trees and throwing them in our living room? Why is this such a big deal? So we're going to be asking, what child is this? So what? In order that my prayer has been that, that God would reacquaint us with the story so that we might have a Christmas joy that is unshakable no matter what grenades get thrown this holiday season, and so that we might be prepared to share the story with everyone that we share eggnog with and perhaps a grenade with at the dinner table. Does anybody want that? Not the, not the grenades, but anyone want to be unshakable when they come? All right, Holland's ready. Let's do this. Matthew chapter 1 is where we'll get started today then. Uh, this is uh, page one of your New Testament. So if you've got your Bible, you, you got all the, uh, the prophets, the Malachi's, the Ezekiel's, the Daniel's. I'm not in order. I'm just reading what I'm seeing here. Eventually you'll get to Matthew chapter one at the start of the New Testament. And here's where it all begins. Matthew chapter one. We'll pick it up in verse 18. We read this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, um, raise your hand if you've heard this story before. See, here's the challenge, just to let you in on my world. Here's the challenge uh, for preachers at Christmas time is, is most of you, by a show of hands, have heard this before. Most of you go, yeah, I know where this is going. This is where Joseph finds out about the virgin birth. Yeah, 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 I know where all of this is going. And what can begin to happen because you know where it's going is you miss what's actually happening in the story. And so if you raised your hand, I just want to ask you to try something today. I want you to pretend like you've never heard this story before. 
I want you to try to hear it for the first time because even what we just read right there, like think about what we just read. We, we got introduced to a young engaged couple named Mary and Joseph. Now, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of engaged couples in the work I do. Um, and I'll just tell you this. I think engaged couples are just the best. Anybody else? Like, like they're in love. They're dreaming about their future together. Uh, they see no problems on the horizon at all. They're so optimistic. They have no idea what's coming. I love being around engaged couples. And, and what I want us to just realize is this is where Mary and Joseph are at. Mary's planning the the Pinterest board for the wedding. Joseph is pretending to have an opinion about that so he doesn't get in trouble. And and, and they get together and and they giggle and they laugh and they're, they're thinking about their future like the future is ahead of them. It's bright. This is where this couple is at. And then one day, Mary shows up to the cake testing, the cake tasting, pregnant, which is not ideal. Because Matthew tells us that they've not been together. Um, and so she shows up pregnant and Joseph, I mean, uh, imagine going from, we've got our whole future together, this is going to be great, to what's the baby bump, Mary? This rocks Joseph's world. Now, now Mary says it's from the Holy Spirit, but can you blame Joseph for being skeptical? What does it mean 99.99999% of the time when someone gets pregnant in this situation? I'll answer it for you. Not, nothing good. Nothing good. So, so Joseph sees this. He doesn't know where the story's going to go. He doesn't know what you know about the Christmas story. Enter in for a moment to the tension. His dreams turn into disaster in an instant. And so he decides to break it off quietly. He says, Mary, I I really like you, but I think we're just headed in different directions. And so he decides to break it off. Now, now Matthew doesn't just tell us that he decides to break it off. He does the whole thing quietly, um, which if we're really going to hear the story this morning, that detail really reveals a lot about the turmoil of the situation. Because um, what you might not know is in this culture, Um, If a betrothed woman was found to be pregnant uh, before her wedding day, if she got pregnant with another man before her wedding day, then the law said that that woman and the man who got her pregnant would both be stoned. And I don't mean like in the California sense. And so like if Joseph was just mad here, he could have blasted this on Twitter and told all of his buddies and, and watched it go down. Joseph could have done that, but he doesn't do it loudly. He does it quietly because I think what we're seeing here is he really loves Mary. He's been dreaming about a future with her. And even though in his mind that future can't happen anymore, he doesn't want her to die. He doesn't want any of this. And and then there's Mary's perspective, which, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't heard the story before, she's telling the truth. This really is of the Holy Spirit. So put yourself in Mary's shoes. You show up to the cake tasting and you tell your fiance the most wonderful news in the universe. And his response is, yeah, I think we should see other people. You think there's some disappointment in Mary's part? See, here's the point. Christmas doesn't begin with this idyllic scene 
that we so often think about. Christmas begins right here in the midst of disappointment and unmet expectations. And, and so as we get going on the Christmas season, um, I think a great question that I just want to ask you, that you could be asking, that you could be processing with the, the people in your life, with God, is where have you felt disappointed lately? Uh, maybe for you, it's like Joseph. You've got a relational thing going on. Uh, a relationship that's not going well. Uh, maybe for you, it's something at work. Work isn't going well, and you feel disappointed, and you feel like your dreams are crashing down around you. Maybe, maybe for you, you just had an awful Thanksgiving, and so you walk in here, and we're all chipper for Christmas, and you're like, I'm feeling anything but chipper right now. I, I, I don't know about you, but um, I tend to like to be optimistic and look on the positive side of things. And, and so I don't want to enter into disappointment. I want to just move on to the next candle and the next decoration and the next eggnog in front of us. But what we see in this story is that Christmas begins in that space of disappointment. And so I think maybe a really good way for us to enter the Christmas season would be to have an honest conversation with God and with the people in our life about where we're disappointed right now. Maybe Jesus wants to meet you in that place that you fear is the greatest threat to your Christmas joy this year. A Christmas begins with disappointment, but it doesn't end there. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, so God sends an angel uh, to give Joseph this message in a dream. Joseph is disappointed. His whole life's crashing down around him. And God comes to him as he so often does and meets him in his disappointment. He sends this angel who says to him in the dream, yeah, actually, Joseph, uh, Mary's telling the truth about the whole virgin birth thing. Um, any of you wish God would just do this for you with your spouse to show up in your spouse's dream and be like, he's right. Listen to him. Or her. Sorry, I, I, so I'm putting myself in the story. Yeah, for you ladies, do you wish? Some of you ladies are like, oh, I, I'm sure he's going to talk to my guy about that. For sure. <laughs> She's right. God sends this angel to say, hey, knucklehead, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, now, why would he be afraid? Where, where did fear come into the equation? We've talked a lot about disappointment. Why would he be afraid? Well, uh, in that culture, marrying a pregnant woman would subject anyone to public scorn. I mean, and, and just use your imagination. Think about this. Like, imagine Joseph's buddies when he being like, Joseph, she's pregnant. You know what this means, right, bro? And then he tells them, oh, guys, don't worry. It's cool. She said it's from the Holy Spirit. 
Can you imagine the reaction of the guys there? Yeah, bro, sure. And, but it's, it's not just the scorn and the mockery of other people. In that culture, the shame that would have fallen on Mary for having a child out of wedlock, the second Joseph decides to marry her, that shame now gets shared with him as well. That is a married couple, they're a team, and her shame is his shame. Her joy is his joy. And so by saying to marry her, he's saying take on scorn, take on shame, It's a big ask. It's a big ask, particularly in this culture where they just didn't do things that way. It's a big ask. And so the angel gives him two names to help encourage him. Which I was thinking about the story this week. Again, I was entering in. And I'm like, man, Joseph doesn't even get to name his son. Uh, I got vetoed on our last two girls. I had really great names One of them was a Greek word that was just awesome. Karen vetoed me on both of those. So I'm like, I I feel for my boy Joe here. Like, I I don't don't even get to name him God. But, But what you have to remember is what we saw in our Living by Faith series, that in the Bible, names are descriptive of character. So Joseph wouldn't have been disappointed. That's a that's a modern thing. When he hears these names, Joseph learns who this child is and will be, and this changes everything for our boy Joe. And so, so let's look at the names. He says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um, hang on to that. We'll come back to that in two weeks. You call his name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. And then there's a second name in the text. He will also be called Emmanuel. Which literally what that name means is God with us. That's why in parentheses, Matthew's like, hey, if you don't speak Hebrew, because he's writing in Greek, here's what that name means. It means God with us. This is like a Nat King Cole kind of situation where this child's going to have lots of names. Nat King Cole, Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ. There's lots of names to the Christmas season. He's a big God. He gets lots of names. But this child will be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. In other words, what the Bible is claiming from the very beginning is that Jesus is more than a good moral teacher. Which is what I think we often try to limit Jesus to today, right? Um, Especially this time of year. Uh, I've got uh, a baby Jesus in my front yard, and then I've got some Disney characters coming from Amazon. It's going to be awesome. Basically, I'm going to have all the characters, like, gathering around Jesus, like, bringing it all together. And, and I had people walk by, and I'm just like, statistically, there's no way they're all Christians. But they see the baby Jesus, and they're like, oh, oh that's so cool. I haven't seen one of those in a while. But, but you'll hear people talk fondly about Jesus this time of year. Like, what a great teacher. If we would just listen to him, we would be so much happier. Which, let's just take a moment to say yes. Yes and amen. If we, I don't say you or they, like us, we, me. If we would just listen to what Jesus said, I, I think we'd all be happier. I know I'd be happier. But if you limit Jesus to simply his moral teaching, you will miss out on the true wonder of Christmas. According to this angel, Jesus is the eternal God who has stepped down from heaven to come be with us. 
The way the Gould family read to us from John 1 is that the eternal word put on flesh to come be with us. Uh, This is what the virgin birth is all about. Uh, Matthew's told us multiple times, he has stressed this detail that Mary is a virgin. You'll hear um, some professors that have smoked too much weed tell you that that word virgin should be translated young woman. They're wrong. Go read Luke chapter 1 when it says she's a virgin and the angel says you're going to be pregnant. She doesn't say, oh, that sounds about right. She says, no, that's impossible because this word doesn't mean young woman. It means virgin. It means never been with a man. Anyway, that that one's just for free uh, because people like to sound sophisticated and just be wrong. This word virgin means never been with a man. And Matthew has stressed this for us multiple times times. And people have really struggled with this idea throughout history. Okay, so, so I'll, I'll be a little bit nicer to the professors that have smoked too much weed. People have struggled with this idea throughout history. Because we said earlier, 99.9999999% of the time virgins don't have babies. So I get why you have to do mental gymnastics and try to explain away the word because it looks inconceivable. But the whole point of Christmas is that something inconceivable has happened. That, that's the claim here. Matthew has told us multiple times in no uncertain detail that Mary is a virgin. And like I said, people have struggled with this throughout history. And it's not just modern college professors that think they're sophisticated. The very first person to struggle with this is Joseph. Before the angel comes to him. And so let me just say this, if if you're here right now and you're like, hey, buddy, I struggle with this. I I, I don't know how you're just talking so casually about a virgin birth. Virgins don't have babies. Well, here's um, here's what I would say to you. Number one, um, I'm glad you're here. I, I don't know how you got here this morning. Maybe your parents told you they were taking you out for brunch and they duped you and brought you here. Uh, if that's what happened, uh, sorry for the deception. We'll try to make it worth your while this morning. Uh, but seriously, I, I am glad you're here because there is a long line of people through history, starting with Joseph, who have gone from skeptic, saying this makes no sense to believer on this and finding new life in this truth. And so I'll just put my cards on the table. I want to be real honest with you and not pretend this morning. I want that for you. I want you to take the journey of Joseph, to uh, go from skeptic to believer, because I want you to have the life that you can have in his name. So I'm just putting my cards on the table this morning. I just want to be totally honest with you, because I don't want to dupe you into anything this morning. Um, But the second thing I'd say is this. God is not asking you to turn your mind off and just believe. In fact, I would actually say the invitation of the Christmas season is to consider these things afresh. And and so what I would ask you to do this morning, I mean, since you're here and all, um, I would just ask you, don't turn your mind off right now and go, I can't believe it. He's so unsophisticated talking about a virgin birth. Like we know better scientifically. I want to ask you to just withhold that instinct. I get the instinct, but I want to ask you to withhold that for a moment and consider this truth or this idea this morning. Because this idea isn't random. 
um, there's a whole background to this idea that made it so that when the angel tells Joseph, hey, Joseph, God is the one doing this, that it all clicked for him. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is just share some of that background with you. I want to invite you to consider an idea that might sound crazy, but just consider it for a moment. Um, the Bible teaches, here, here's the background. The Bible teaches, start big picture. The Bible teaches that there is one God who has always existed in three persons. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, if your brain is hurting, that's because you just heard me. God is big. He is beyond our comprehension. That doesn't mean that we can't understand, but it means that he is big. There's one God who has always existed in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of an overflow of the love that they have always shared for one another, God created everything that existed. Uh, The way the opening pages of the Bible will say it is that God formed the first humans from the dust of the ground. And and then, by the power of the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, he breathed the breath of life into our first parents. So according to the Bible, humans alone have been made in the image of God uh, with the unique capacity to know God and to relate to God and reflect God. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. It's not just that we have life because even animals have life. God made us from the dust of the ground, but then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he breathed something more than biological life into us. Some call it the soul. The most common way the Bible will speak about it is being an image bearer of God. That we have been created with a unique capacity to know, relate, and reflect God in the world. And so uh, this is the worldview that Joseph uh, would have had, that he would have been coming from. Uh, That there's one God, that he created everything, and that by the power of his spirit, he has set humanity above the rest of the created order. And, And look, if you would say like, man, I don't know how I could get there to believe that there is a God who created all of this, that from nothing he made everything that's been made, um, I would just ask you to be intellectually honest this morning. Because any alternative to that narrative is going to require just as much faith to say that our world that has love and beauty and harmony in it just randomly came from nothing that it was just a law of chances that eventually something beautiful would come from nothing, that doesn't make you some neutral person that doesn't have faith. In fact, I would argue that you have to have a lot more faith to believe that the relationships we have, the love we feel from one another just came about through stardust colliding. And so the question that you've got to ask, you can't play the I'm neutral card. We all have faith in something. The question you have to ask is which worldview makes the best sense of the reality that we live in? See, the Bible is going to say the reason that you care about justice, the reason that you have these desires for relationships, and the reason that you love and care about other people is because you have been made in the image of a God who is The very definition of goodness and justice and at his core is relational and love 
himself. And this same God, according to the Bible, when he decided to redeem our broken world after sin came in and ruined everything, the way that God decided to redeem our broken world was by touching the womb of a virgin, where just like the dust of the ground, no life existed in that place. But just like he did in creation, God touched the womb of the virgin. And the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, stepped into her womb and put on flesh as an act of new creation. Now, I'll just be honest with you. That's a miracle. That's something that you have to accept on faith. But so is the fact that you are here today sitting on a ball that's spinning at a thousand miles an hour, rotating around a giant fireball at just the right distance for us not to freeze to death or burn to death. Is that really so crazy to believe in light of that, which you cannot deny? Now, some of you might say, well, there's parts of this ball that are more placed better to not freeze to death than others. Yeah, that's why I'm glad that we look at a white Christmas on the screen and have sunshine when we go out here in California point is, this is how the Bible explains this. That the same miracle that explains how you got here today, it's that same miracle working power that did the virgin birth. That, that's the claim here. That this child is God who has entered into our broken creation in order to fix it. That he is more than an enlightened teacher. He is the God who made it all and has come to fix it all. And before you decide what you believe about that this morning, um, let me just show you real quick the so what about this truth. Because the so what, this truth changed everything for Joseph. And I just want to show you the impact it had on him before you decide what you believe about that. So look with me at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Which that is culturally significant. Because by being the one to name Jesus, Joseph is legally adopting him in that moment. So in other words, Joseph goes from wanting to break up before God speaks to him. To saying, I'm in. No matter what, I don't care what it costs me, legally, relationally, completely, I am in. And in that change in his life, I think we see the so what of this idea that this child is God. And so, like any good preacher, I've got three points for you to consider from that. Uh, Number one, if this child is God, then that means none of the other stuff you're chasing is. See, I said earlier that we have been made in the image of God. Part of what that means is that we are made for a relationship with God. We are made to know God and love God and be known and loved by God. And from that relationship, we reflect God's love and life and goodness to the world around us. And if you go to page one of the Bible, you'll see this is how it operated. That our first parents live with God in a garden paradise. They walk with God, everything's great, they're naked and unashamed, everyone's having a great time, they've got a bunch of pets and animals that they're naming, everything is working well, until the moment Satan enters the picture and ruins everything. Controversial opinion, I know, 
um, Satan came to our first parents and told them the lie that if you really want to be alive, you have to get out from under the thumb of God. Real happiness is found outside of God. And when they believed that lie and rebelled against God, in that moment, their relationship with God is fractured. By saying, God, we, we, we don't want to know you, love you, reflect your goodness in the world. We want to go over here now. That relationship was fractured. And, and, and what the Bible says and what our experience says, I think if you're really honest, is we've all said the same. We have all traded a relationship with the living God for the stuff that God has made and said, this can fill me, this can satisfy me. Um, Listen to how the church father Augustine put it. Uh, He writes, really the very beginning, one of the most famous books in history, in the Confessions, he writes this, speaking to God. He says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. What Augustine is saying is that you and I are often restless. You ever felt that way? Restless. Like there's something out there that I want but I don't have. I feel like there's something more. Augustine says that we feel that way. We feel restless because what we're doing is we are looking to finite things that God has made. Uh, Good things. Like children. And gifts. And relationships. And we take good things and we try to make them God things in our heart. We try to look to those things to satisfy us. We try to look to our children and say, through your success, then finally I'll feel like I have success. We look to a a, a relationship and say, if he would just go to Jared's this Christmas season, then I'll feel loved. Then I'll feel valuable. We look to things and say, if I could just get this, then I will be happy. And the problem with that is finite created things cannot fill the space that an infinite God was made to fill in our soul. And so what I would submit to you is this is why we all experience disappointment in life. Uh, especially this time of season. We said at the top, we kind of all resonated with, yeah, I know what it's like to be disappointed at Christmas time. I know what it's like for things to go sideways. I think especially this time of year, we put God-like expectations on things that are not God. And, and maybe I'm extra sensitive to this because I've been sick for a couple of weeks now. I've been in bed. I've been watching TV. And, and watching all of these commercials, I'm realizing that we just get pummeled at this time of year with advertising that is presenting us with God options for our lives. With alternatives to the living God saying, no, this will satisfy you. This will make you whole. This will make you complete. If you would just get this SUV man, your kids are going to love you. They're going to want to bring their friends over. They won't be embarrassed by you anymore. And it's all going to be awesome. You're going to have a Merry Christmas. Just put a bow on top. It'll be the most wonderful time of the year. Or we see these commercials from Walmart that are like, if you would just do your holiday shopping here, then all the relational tension that you're worried about around your Christmas dinner table, that will fall to the wayside and you will have a Disney-like, picturesque, joyful holiday celebration where nobody fights, nobody gets mad, and everybody smiles. Or, I mean, the classic one is if he would just go to Jared's this holiday season, 
which that one's got two promises wrapped up in it. It's not only will you get some bling and you'll look good, but there's a promise of a relationship that that'll show you how much he treasures you and you'll be complete and you'll be full if he would just go to Jared's, which some of you are like, you're really down on love. I'm not down on love. Um, I think that love is such a good gift from God. But if we make that ultimate in our heart, if we say this person will complete me, if we put that pressure on another person, then you will be shocked at how quickly you go from you complete me to I can't believe I married you. If you're married, don't amen that right now. The point is this time of year in particular We are being pummeled with God options for our lives. We are being taught from every angle to put God-like expectations on a holiday meal, on gifts, on other people in our life. And the announcement of Christmas is that you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to put the pressure on your kids and on the meal and on your marriage to be God for you. Because number two, you get to be with God. See, it's not just... The angel doesn't just say that God is out there. And so none of the stuff you're chasing, Joseph, will satisfy you. That engagement, that wasn't going to do it for you anyway. Gosh, wouldn't that be depressing? All the stuff you're chasing will not satisfy you. Merry Christmas. Have a great week. The angel doesn't just say that God is out there. He says that God has come into our world to be with us. That means that the deep longings of our soul can be satisfied, not by things that could be taken from us, not by circumstances that can change in an instant, not even by people who great as they are are human and finite and flawed and will fail us. But if this child is God who has come to be with us, then that means that the deep longings of our soul can be satisfied by the one for whom we are made. We can find rest in him, in the words of Augustine, who's really just quoting Jesus, in a way that that rest can never be taken from us. Um, I was thinking about Joseph's life this week. Uh, Do you think that it would be easy for him to raise this boy? I mean, I'm I'm just using my imagination and what I know of people. Um, I imagine that there were days where he'd be walking through the market with Jesus. People would start staring because it's a small town. They start whispering. Especially if you look at the Gospels, what you'll see is people mock Jesus' hometown and they mocked his family situation. So I don't think it's a big leap to say that people mock Joseph, just like he feared. And I was thinking about it this week. He's walking through the marketplace. They're whispering, what a sucker. And then Joseph looks over at Jesus. And he knows what they won't know until after this child grows up, dies on the cross, defeats death in the grave, walks out victorious the other side, proving that he is God. He knows what they wouldn't know until much later. He knows that that's Emmanuel right there. And so as much as they're going to mock me right now, He's the one giving them breath in their lungs right now. And I'm going to hold his hand as we walk all the way home. Emmanuel, God, here with me. Are you kidding me? And I think this is what enabled Joseph to continue faithfully until the end. 
From this moment on, the Bible has nothing negative to say about Joseph. There's no more wanting to break up with Mary. He is there. He is present. He's faithful to the end. And here's the thing. Joseph had a big transformation because of this truth, but the same can be true for you this Christmas. Because if you believe in Jesus, what the Bible tells us is that you and I have better than God walking beside us. I'm going to skip ahead in the story for a moment. I guess I already did it. Uh, He goes to the cross, dies in our place for our sins, saves us just like the angel said. He rises again. He goes back to his home in heaven to prepare a home for us, to bring heaven back down to the earth, to restore it all. And what Jesus tells his disciples before the end is, hey, I'm going back to heaven to prepare the place for you, but I'm not going to leave you alone or as orphans. I'm going to send my spirit to not walk beside you, but to live within you. And so what the Bible tells us is that if you have believed in Jesus, you get better than God walking beside you. You get God's presence dwelling within you. That God has come to be with you and me. There is no undoing Christmas. Heaven has come to earth in the person of Jesus. And by the power of his spirit, Jesus is with all of us who would trust in him. Not in a way that we're like psyching ourselves up and making it up, kind of like a lot of our Christmas traditions. In a way that is real and grounded in this moment in history. And so I would plead with you, if you want to have a Merry Christmas this year, If you want to get caught up in the magic of the season, make space to enjoy the presence of God in your life. Make space to listen to him through his word and to respond to him in prayer and to talk about him around the dinner table. You might find you have a dream. You know God still speaks through dreams today. Make space to enjoy that God is with you. If you believe this good news, make space to enjoy that this Christmas. We've got a whole table out in the lobby that is filled with Advent resources just to help you do this. That would say, hey, here's a a book or a a thing you could go through that will really kind of get you into the Christmas story. They've got great questions. They're age appropriate. I would encourage you, check that out on your way out. Whatever it looks, some of you are type A. You're like, I ordered my Advent devotional six weeks ago. Whatever it looks like for you, make space to enjoy the presence of God this Christmas. To be with him and have the ultimate longings of your soul satisfied. Because here's what I'll tell you about that. It's only when you are enjoying being with God that you will be able to enjoy all the other stuff in this season for what it is. Good gifts, but not God. It's only when you are being with God that you will be freed up to put the lights on the house. And if they burn out, not lose your freaking mind. It is only when you're enjoying being with God that when that holiday dinner goes sideways, you're like, I knew they would do this. That you don't freak out because you're like, God, what do you have for me in this moment? Because I'm freaking out right now but I know you're with me and I know you're giving them breath in their lungs right now. Maybe I wish you weren't giving them breath in their lungs right now, but I know you hear me right now and I just want to talk to you right now. When you do that, like Joseph, you will see a transformation in your life. 
And, and so that's the invitation this Christmas. To realize that the stuff you're chasing isn't God. And it doesn't have to be because you get to be with God. And so you can enjoy all those other good things for what they are. And then number three, this is the last one. If that's true, that this child is God come to be with us, and that means we get to bring the presence of God wherever we go. See, if this child is God who has come to be with us through Jesus and now through the power of the Spirit of Jesus, then if God is with us, that doesn't stop being true when we walk out of these doors. Are are you tracking with me on that? If God is with us by his spirit dwelling within us, then that means when you walk out of these doors and you go to lunch, God is there. That means when you drive home and get home, God is there in your home. That means when you go to work tomorrow, God is there in your workplace. That means when you get cut off in traffic on your way home, God is there in the commute hour there. This means that God fills our city as we scatter all week long. And so my encouragement to you is if you believe that, one of the ways to make the most of this season where people are uniquely open to talking about Christmas, I'm sure you've realized this, like even your not Christian friends are open to having Christmassy kinds of conversation. In this season where opportunity is so ripe, I would encourage you, make the most of those opportunities. Um, One way you could do that, just to be super practical, is to just ask God, are there two or three people that you are calling me to be intentionally present with this Christmas season? Are there two or three people that you want me to share the story with? Because I'll tell you this, folks, Starbucks ain't going to do it for us. And that's okay. Because you have the Spirit of God in you, and there is an adventure and an opportunity to be had as we join in with the angels in this story and say, like the angel did to Joseph, hey, I know it's busted, but good news He's come to be with us, and this is going to change your whole life. When you are experiencing that good news, when you are enjoying the presence of God, you won't be able to help but share it. And and ultimately, that's what we see in the life of Jesus. That though he is God and always has been, and from always, before time began, has enjoyed a perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus perfectly has always enjoyed the presence of the Father and the Spirit. And yet he came to earth. Because when you are enjoying the presence of the life-giving God of the Bible, it spills over onto the canvas of reality in creation and into our broken world in redemption. And that's why we see this child comes, that God comes as a baby. We're going to look at his humanity next week, that, that Jesus, he sacrificed so much without sacrificing any of his divinity that we've talked about today. He sacrifices so much to come into our broken world and to bring the presence of God into the lives of people that don't know him. 
to lay his life down, ultimately on the cross, to die in our place for our sins, to remove everything that stands between us and a relationship with God so that God's presence can come into our lives and fill our lives with life and love. And as John says, light is this powerful spiritual metaphor to talk about the life that you long for. It can come in him. And when that truth is alive in us, that presence will spill over to the world around us, just like it did in Jesus, spilling into the world. When we are alive to the life in Christ, it will spill out to those around us. This is the invitation and opportunity this holiday season, to be with God, to enjoy that the longings of our heart are fulfilled in him, and from that joy, to go tell it on the mountain. Let me pray for us. And what I would actually ask you to do is I want to ask you to stand if you're able right now. I want to pray for us and over us as we are about to head out into this holiday season. Because I know we're going to get pummeled as we go from here. But I believe that the God who spoke to Joseph is with us in this room. And I just want to pray his blessing over you as we go. Father God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only son into the world to bring us back into a relationship with you. Uh, Father, I ask right now that you would send the spirit of your son Jesus to fill us in this moment. That we would know your presence. That you would remind us of your presence. That we would enjoy your presence in a profound way this Christmas season. I know there are some here that have celebrated Christmas so many times. We think, how can it get better than this? I pray for new Christmas joy and wonder by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would magnify the truth that you have come to be with us. Would you help us to find our soul's rest in you in the coming weeks as we go from here? And as we find rest in you, would you teach us and lead us on how to make that story and make your presence known wherever we go? Bless us and keep us in the beautiful name of Jesus, Emmanuel, we pray. Amen.